This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. Hey, it's John Hall, the senior editor of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, and sitting across from me is a German brewmaster who is doing some really amazing things that we're going to talk about in a minute, uh, Mark Rauschman. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for talking to me. Uh, before we get into this conversation, I just want to say that as the brewing industry's premier choice for glycol chilling, G&D Chillers has set the standard on quality, service, and dedication to their customers' craft. For 25 years, G&D has led the way on innovative solutions that match their brewing customers' immediate and future needs. With a wide selection of custom-built chillers, G&D offers the Nano Chiller, the perfect solution for nano breweries, all the way up to their larger capacity units like the Vertical Air Chiller, built for higher volume operations. Contact G&D Chillers today for your chiller sizing needs at one 800 555 or reach out online at gdchillers.com. This episode is also brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association, an organization that celebrates the hobby of homebrewing, protects the rights of homebrewers, and provides members with world-class brewing resources. And finally, great craft beers are made from select ingredients. With BSG, you'll bring the world to your brew house with an unparalleled and diverse selection of ingredients from across the globe to just down the road. Our dedicated customer, customer service team and industry experience provides you with the assistance you need every step of the way. Let BSG be your supplier of choice for products essential to making great artisanal beverages so you can stay focused on your craft. For more information, you can visit them at bsgcraftbrewing.com or contact them at 1-800-374-2739. Dr. Rauschman, I should say, uh, the help me with the pronunciation of your brewery. Braufaktum. Okay. Yeah. So there's a hard M and a capital M on the back of on, on the back of your name, which I was uh, struggling with. So Braufaktum. Yeah, the M stands for manufacturing, though so it's a uh, handmade, and uh, Brau means brewing, though so it's a little bit like craft brewing, uh, translated to the to the German uh, consumers. Yeah. I want to talk about your brewery. I want to talk about uh, the recipes that you're making and, and sort of the innovation that you've brought. Um, but I realized that it, it, it's been a while since I've actually checked in on what is happening in the German brewing scene these days. You know, I, I globally, it's so hard to sort of keep a handle on everything that's happening. And mm -hmm. in traditional brewing countries like Germany, I, I feel like even 10, 15 years ago, it was easier for those of us who were covering beer or drinking beer or thinking about beer to, to figure out what was happening in other countries. But now with mm -hmm. 7,500 breweries here in the U.S. and just a, a global brewing scene, uh, some of the more traditional countries, I think, aren't necessarily top of mind for some of our drinkers uh, uh, over here. So I, I'm wondering, how do you describe the German brewing scene for somebody who hasn't checked in in a while? Mm. I think Germany is a little bit like the other traditional beer countries like um, UK or Belgium. Uh, and uh, these two countries uh, in Germany, we of course, as you know, we have a lot of uh, different styles, variation and very tasteful beer. Um, and these three countries gave the ideas to the craft brewers, but on the other hand, these countries were yeah, very sure that they had enough and didn't need to look uh, over the borders. 
And this happened in, at different times in these three countries. In Germany, I would say 2010, when we started, <coughs> this opened the mind uh, to some other brewers. And since then, um, the craft brewing scene started in Germany. So that means we are maybe 20 years behind the United States uh, concerning craft beer. But on the other hand, a lot of things are happening in Germany from the existing brewery. So we already have 1,400 something. So you started with 30. So uh, th <laughs> yeah. that means not everything is a new brewery, yeah. but uh, the, the brewers start to think about um, dry hopping, other styles. So a lot of things are changing, but as it took time in the United States, it takes time in Germany too. Where, where is the progress going right now? Are, are, are there still... I mean, I know there's still traditional breweries that will that will never change, and, and, and I'm thankful for that. But I'm wondering, where are the consumer palettes these days? Like, what are people looking for uh, when you're out uh, talking with them? Are they looking for tradition? Are they looking for new, rare, and local, which seems to be driving the, the, the U.S. market these days? I, I think both fit very good together. And I'm very happy that not everything changing. Though, like United States, a lot of styles are now very much hopped and not all styles need dry hopping in that way. So, and I see in the United States and in Germany that people like to have a, a, a lager, a pilsner, and the, the same people start to drink other styles, but that doesn't mean that they don't like pilsner style anymore. Mm -hmm. um, what we see is that more and more, especially younger people, younger means, of course, they are over 18, but uh, younger than the normal German beer drinker, Uh, start to yeah to go into the craft beer world and these consumers normally uh, some of them we would lose for beer cons consumption at all so this is very important not only for the craft beers it's for the whole beer market very important to bring these people to our nice products um, yeah when we when we started uh, it was more off-premise business because the people in the restaurant, they didn't know anything about craft beer, mm -hmm. and it's not possible to sell something you don't know and you don't like personally. But now we have, especially in the bigger cities like Berlin, Hamburg, Munich, but more Berlin and Hamburg, we have more and more people in the restaurants um, which want to have uh, variation and new styles, and so now it's more and more on-premise. What again is important to sell the beer off-premise, so both Fits very both is uh, very important to um, for the category. Yeah. So Brafactum is part of the Radeberger Group, right? That's the the sort of larger. Yes. Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. And and Radeberger is, is certainly one of the, the the beers that we've known here in the U.S. and it's certainly a, a, a wonderful mm -hmm. established uh, uh, mm -hmm. German brewer. But you were sort of tasked with or, or given the opportunity to sort of see where you could take beer, you know, to sort of break out of the, you know, traditional, yeah. the, the traditions, yeah. as it were. Yeah. Walk me through that, because I, I, I've talked with other brewers in the past, and, and, and it, it can be a difficult thing to sort of, especially if you're part of a larger brewing group, to sort of break with tradition in a, in a meaningful way that doesn't necessarily feel like it is, you know, just a marketing grab or just a, you know, somebody trying to, you know, pretend to be hip or something. You know, it's, uh, you know, the guy who dresses younger, uh, you know, uh, even though, though, though he's older kind of thing. Um, walk me through, uh, what did you start with? You know, how did you get into the mindset of, 
okay, we need to yeah. differentiate and we're yeah. going to start here. Did you mm-hmm. go all the way to the extreme or did you build up to it or what was the... Mm-hmm. Yeah, first of all, um, yeah, the Radeberg Group is the biggest German brewing group, but um, it's privately owned. So we became, we got the uh, the opportunity and the freedom uh, to do what we thought is necessary to do. That's very important. And on the other hand, uh, the Radeberg Group stands for for quality and for beer culture, German beer culture. And we see the new style, the craft beer we brew, as a good addition to the already existing. Um, German beer culture. Um, when we started 2010, we traveled a lot because we thought it's very important to see what other countries, what other brewers do, and not only the brewers, the consumers and people selling the beer. Sure. Um, and we were at a few really amazing breweries, like Firestone Walker, we met Fritz Maytag at Anchor Steam, uh, Serra Nevada, Brooklyn Brewery, and all of these brewers said, oh, you're a great beer country, but you are the first visiting us. And uh, that was very typical for the German boer. They, of course, they, they travel for, for fun and for, for holidays, but they n- never travel to other countries uh, visiting other boers and see what they do. And For research, for inspiration. For research, for, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because everything we did in the past 100 years, maybe, was uh, product development was inside our own style. Mm-hmm. Styles, maybe the last say craft beer development was Pilsner style, which was invented by a Bavarian brewmaster in Czech Republic and yeah. then came back. So it was a little, <laughs> little bit like that. But after that, we uh, over the last de- decades, we never looked what other countries do. So when we came back, or when I arrived in the United States and had my first IPA, I couldn't believe uh, that we don't have this amazing style in Germany. And for example... Uh, I was very much impressed by um, the Union Check from Firestone Walker because it's very hoppy. But what a wonderful beer. Oh, yeah. yeah, what a wonderful beer. And the Double Check and all these beers are so good balanced. So uh, I looked up what Matt Brunelson uh, did and still is doing at that uh, brewery. So we came, we came back and said, we, we have to brew our own IPA. Uh, but with a German twist, with, with our ideas, I think it's a little bit boring just to, to copy a style, taking U.S. hop and doing it in Germany. That's, nobody needs that. But uh, we combine that beer with a German hop and we brew it with a little bit more malt body and balance. And everybody drinking the beer says, oh, yeah, I, I taste the, the German way of, of brewing. So we came back and started brewing some international styles like the IPA, like a Scotch ale, um, like now a brown ale, pale ale. But also we uh, looked in the German tradition. So we took up some German styles like the Kölsch, which uh, interesting is to see that it was dry hopped until the Second World War. Mm-hmm. So it was unfortunately lost, but uh, it was already done. So we now produce a dry hopped uh, Kölsch. We have a Schwarz beer and a smoked wheat. For both, we have one silver medal at World Beer Cup. What, what a oh, great thing. Sure. Yeah. And uh, we have a combination of styles like a wheat IPA. So and we started with nine styles and now we have 16. Um, and together with our own beers we created, we decided to start with a good collection of international brands. So we uh, used to import Brooklyn, uh, Firestone Walker, we have some Belgian beers. So it was a good collection of our own beers and uh, other beers. But to coming back to your question, um, we wanted to have the whole 
or part of or the most important styles. We had sour beers, barrel-aged beers. And um, looking back, of course, we made maybe for some consumers three steps in one because uh, yeah. uh, we have seen this in the United States, but you didn't start with double IPA and barrel-aged uh, imperial stout. Uh, at the beginning, you had Anchor Steam, you had Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Sure. And but even Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, I think it's, I, I've had this conversation before, it's like 32 IBUs. Uh, I mean, it is so low on the bitter scale uh, in, in compared to what's out there today, but it was revolutionary at the time. Uh, if people are like, you can't have a beer that hoppy out on the market, and yeah. you know, here we are today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but on the other hand, 32 bitter units is quite normal for German pills. Mm-hmm. So, of course, we wanted to have a good difference to German styles. Um, but now we go a little bit back, but it's, we go back and say, okay, we, we want to bring the consumer step-by-step step, uh, to even more intensive beers. Um, but uh, we need, like we produced a hoppy, dry hop Pilsner, yeah, which is a nice beer, but it's the next step for consumers liking unfiltered beer. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a little bit like what happened in the United States. So coming back from the, all these very hoppy beers now, more sessionable beers are very famous in the United States. I'll let you take a sip of your cappuccino, and I do want to thank uh, my local coffee shop here in Jersey for uh, hosting us today. Um, while you're doing that, I will point out that SCA Fabricating is the industry's leading choice for packaging line automation, specializing in depalletizing, repalletizing, conveyance, rising, drying, fill detection, and date coating. Scafab has over 600 installations in breweries, wineries, and distilleries worldwide. With a reliable team of engineers dedicated to fast, reliable customer service, you can count on them to provide systems custom-tailored for your specific needs. Contact Scafab today at area code 970-403-8562 or reach out online at scafabricating.com. Dr. Rauschman, um... So you, you, you were talking about IPA, and what I found really interesting was, you know, not just recreating the American style IPA, but but trying to put a German twist on it. And and one of the great frustrations that I've always had, um, and this is maybe back in 2010 and maybe through 2015 or thereabouts when I was traveling internationally, and people were saying, well, this is our American IPA, and I'd be in parts of Europe or South America or wherever, and there was just there was this desire to replicate what the U.S. was doing with this no-holds-bare hop, you know, like, let's just hop the hell out of it until the end of the day kind of thing. But everywhere else that I traveled, it seemed like it was uh, the brakes were on, that there was great restraint being used because, you know, why would you ever need to use that much hops? Uh, um, And I think that that's starting to change now. Mm -hmm. But when you marry what's sort of the German brewing tradition with the modern American traditions that are being made, where do you try to find the balance? Like, how do you want people, I imagine that you want people to recognize that this is inspired by, but still very much a German product, like inspired Mm -hmm. by the U.S., but Mm -hmm. still very Mm -hmm. much a German product. So how do you create that balance? Mm -hmm. So we split the process. So on the one hand side, we uh, created the, basic recipe, what means the good malt bases and the body uh, to, to balance the bitterness. So we put different brew in the pilot plant until we were happy with this um, basic beer. And then whenever we try new hops, we always try single hop 
doing dry hopping because otherwise you cannot understand the, the hop, uh, the individual hop. So we did a lot of different dry hoppings with, with hops we thought they are interesting. In 2010 I had already bought a small, very small quantity of Citra. Uh, now Citra is a very, very famous hop. <laughs> in 2009 when I have bought a small quantity it wasn't so famous, it was just the beginning of Citra. It was more cas everything about Cascade. Mm -hmm. And uh, especially in Germany, it was difficult to get it for the European market. So I had this, and I couldn't use it for another beer I already uh, had in the market. So I thought, Citra, I want to have Citra uh, in my IPA, because I fell in love with that hop. Um, and I wanted to combine it with German hops. Uh, you know that during this time, and a little bit later, because of this development and craft beer revolution, new German hop varieties Uh, came into the market, mm -hmm. but I thought that even the old traditional varieties are some of the noble hops and uh, some of the noble and yeah. even of the bitter hops. So I, I think that the uh, differentiation is not there only because the bitter hops have more uh, bitter acids. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean that they don't have a nice aroma. Mm -hmm. yeah? But anyway, both every German hops, no German hops was tested for dry hopping. So, so I thought we, we have to do a trial with the German hops and to see which is interesting to dry hopping. And we did a lot of different trials and we found out that the Hallertor Mittelfuhl is an amazing hop. Sure. And uh, it's a good reason why Samuel Adams is using that hop. Um, and thanks to them that this amazing variety is still there in the Hallertor because n not so many brewers took it. Yeah, no, Sam Adams and, Boston Lager yeah, early on, yeah, uh, yeah. Jim Cook yeah, made yeah. a commitment to it. Yes. And, yeah. Yeah, that's that's great. And it's an amazing hop. And so uh, then we we started to um to blend the beer with the different hops and we found out that the marriage between Citra and uh, Hallertau was amazing. And um that's a good reason because the German hop region or the German hops and the American hops from the northwest Uh, are so different in their aroma profile. And um, so that's very interesting to bring these two hops together. And um, because we have only half of this inc um, intensive uh, citrus hop, uh, not a Cascade uh, or Simcoe or something like that added, the, the noble German hop makes it a little bit more soft in the aroma. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that there, isn't, there, is e there are even more different um, hop oils but uh, in a different intensity, yeah. yeah, and they would fit very well together. Um, yeah, and then we did different trials with um, different um, uh, quantities of these hops. And what and uh, and this was revolutionary, right? I mean, this this was something that not a lot of other German brewers yeah. were, were, were doing. I, I I'm very sure that 2010 we were the it was the first IPA, the Progusta from us, which we introduced to the market. Of course, there were maybe homebrewers doing this stuff, mm -hmm. but uh, there was nothing in the market. And uh, yes, it was um, very 2010. revolutionary. Yeah. Because uh, the interesting thing is that the German Brewers Association, and especially the Bavarian se uh, section, um, And all the brewers thought that dry hopping is not in accordance with the purity law. So they didn't want to do that. Uh, but we said, in the purity law, we have the four ingredients. So uh, of course, we can 
we are allowed to put hops later uh, into the fermenter. So we did it, and two years later, they announced that it's uh, in accordance with the purity law. So, so this is the interesting thing, and in the Randheimskabot is. I'm, I'm pausing here because I, I want to choose my words very, very carefully. Um, it is probably the most misunderstood part of global brewing. You know, everybody's just sort of, you know, uh, if it comes up and, and you know a little bit about beer, you'll just talk about it as the purity law. And it doesn't actually explain what what it is or how it impacts brewers or or anything. So, so having a trained professional German brewmaster sitting across from me right now, uh, I would love for the quick history lesson, at least, uh, you know, take your time, but uh, on what the Rheinheinskabot is and what you've encountered that, you know, especially the, the U.S. audience uh, might get wrong about it. Even this is a chance to set the record straight. <laughs> yeah, good question. For your, <laughs> for your entire country, you're, you're uh, now the we, representative. Yeah. Even in, in, in Germany, it's sometimes uh, misunderstood. Um, first of all, the Rheinheinskabot is a very, very good thing because normally for a classic beer and even for an IPA, no brewer needs more than malt, hops, yeast, and water. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Normally, every IPA should be in accordance of the, to the beer law, or lager and pilsner style. And uh, the Reinhardtskill board prevents brewers, if they brew in accordance with that law, to use other ingredients. And there are other possibilities, like uh, unmalted barley together with enzymes. A uh, lot of things make brewing easier, but a good brewer doesn't need that. So first of all, it's a very, very good thing to think about the ingredients. Mm-hmm. Um, concerning other styles, like, for example, a wit a framboise, um, the Weinerskabut wasn't done for these styles even 500 years ago. And um, even in Germany, the Weinerskabut is not the, the law. Uh, our law al- allows it to do other styles, uh, special beers, mm-hmm. and that makes sense. But it doesn't allow to make cheaper beer because it's, of course, possible to use other ingredients to have the whole production easier and cheaper. Mm-hmm. And it's good that this is not allowed. And um, for, for, for me, um, the, the idea of the Reinhardtsgebot would even work for, for other styles. Uh, for example, um, e- even craft brewers, if they make new styles or um, food beers, they use uh, aroma instead of foods. Yeah? And I think aromatized, aromatized um, food beers uh, have nothing to do with craft. So I think some co- bigger craft brewers should think about the ideas of the purity law and translate that for other styles in the same way, only using natural foods, natural ingredients. Mm-hmm. And that's what the Weinheitsgebot means for the four ingredients, but you could uh, see it wider for, for, for other styles. Um, and, yeah, that, that's, that's it. Uh, maybe you have some more questions concerning that. I'm not sure whether I... Well, I, I'm just sort of curious. So are, are, are you saying that there are some brewers who have just gotten so far away from... I guess the the essence and the you know the original intent of beer that it's sort of time to come back and and, and look at 
in, in, what in can tr- be done with just the four primary ingredients? In, 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 in Germany, of course, all brewers uh, brew the classic styles in called the Purity Law. Yes. And if we do new styles, like a, a brewer does a wit beer or pumpkin ale, we mostly use the, oh, I think all brewers, new uh, craft brewers use the very natural ingredients. But what I, what I like to say is that international brewers, big brewers or small brewers, should for, if they don't need any other ingredients for, for the style, they should, of course, brew in a constant beauty law mm-hmm. and uh, use the purest ingredients. But even for new styles for a brewer, I think it's very important to use pure ingredients and not make it easier to use um, um, food aroma, syrup, or sweeteners. Mm-hmm. And I know that it's sometimes used for special beers. Yes. It's not special to use sweeteners and aroma. You should, even for other styles, take up the idea. The Reinhardt wasn't done for these styles, but the idea is to use pure ingredients. And I think this could help even uh, for, for, for other styles in other countries. One of the things that I, I found very interesting when um, when you were talking about Kolsch uh, was that it, it was dry hopped and then that was sort of lost uh, to time. I was talking with Fal Allen, who just wrote the the book on uh, Goza not too long ago, and he was uh, rediscovering uh, uh, aspects of that style that have been you know lost to the ages. And you know, I think as as, as brewing has progressed, um, you know, certain traditions have just been sort of you know things that were passed down uh, might have been forgotten or changed. Mm-hmm. Everybody tries to put their own spin on it. But have you spent more time looking into other styles that might have changed and and what? Mm-hmm was being done in the, in the past that you could bring back into the forefront today? Yes. It's, uh, at the moment, I'm just reading uh, the book from Horst Dornbusch about uh, dark lager, mm. the whole book just about lager, uh, dark lager. It's very interesting to, to see the history. And in every book, there are interesting aspects for, the, um, for new beers, or taking, back, uh, taking up uh, old tradition. Um, the interesting thing is that a lot of brewers say that they use old recipes. Nobody is using old recipes because uh, we have a modern, hopefully a modern brewery, and recipe always meets some, uh, means something what fits to your equipment. Mm-hmm. And nobody would like to drink uh, beer brewed uh, with a 100-year-old recipe. Yeah. Um, because craft brewing for me means using the best modern equipment. And if we look back to history, we want to take up the ideas of that time, like dry hopping, but of course, bring it in the modern time and to do it with the best quality and with the knowledge uh, of today. Yeah? And then it makes sense. And then it's very interesting to see what uh, brewers in former times did. When you compare something, a, a recipe from the past versus how it is now, is, is there something that you can you can point to as how it's changed, you know, if, if, if we had one recipe in one hand and uh, today's and, 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 and the other, what are the main differences, uh, you know, that you've seen from, from reading recipes and, and putting things into practice? Um, it depends on the style. Of course, in, in former times, we didn't have any really real pale ale because we didn't have the, the malt. We had different uh, boiling systems. Mm-hmm. Um, that means if we brew a beer, mostly we add more sp- different 
malts and add some darker malts, caramel malt to have a little bit more uh, color in the beer, which in former times we had to uh, because of the boiling system. Um, then of course we had um, the beers in former times were more s smoky because if you go back to the beginning of the uh, 19th century um, before um, indirect um, heating was, was used, all beers or all, all malt and all beers were more and more uh, more or less uh, smoky so we we have one smoked beer where we where we add uh, this malt uh, purposefully right yeah um, but in former times or even if now I have some smoked beers uh, the smoke is not very pleasant so I, I think the it was the same uh, in the past or so, uh, then the um, before Louis Pasteur has found out uh, that the yeast is doing the work the work, mm -hmm. uh, the work um, a lot of beers were were sour um, and I think the, to produce a sour beer, for example, is a big, big challenge uh, because it's easy to make a beer sour. Uh, it happens, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> but it's not a good beer. Intentional so or to not? Have a, yeah. To have a good balanced beer, um, then um, yeah, the the usage of the different um, dark malts is, uh, and the composition is a very interesting thing because I. I in former times, there weren't so many different malts. They were happy if, uh, from the moment they had a really dark malt before it wasn't possible to get, in, get, uh, didn't get that. Um, then the, the hop variation. Of course, dry hopping was done uh, uh, for the yeah, for the IPA and even for the Kölsch, but I think it was mostly, uh, sure, it was mostly done to prevent beer becoming sour. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't done for... Anti-spoilage. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, but the beer didn't taste like that fresh, it didn't have that fresh fruity character. And um, for the, I think the, the hop, the, the storage of the hop um, with pellets, good packaged, uh, under cool condition, wasn't possible in former times. So um, the beer maybe tasted more cheesy uh, because the hop was oxidized. Sure. Um, and the, the possibility had to have fresh, um, hop over the whole year because it's stored under good condition. Uh, that's pretty new. So even dry hopping in the past had a different aim and the result was totally different to that what happens today. One of the things that I found interesting that, that, that you pointed out was that uh, there hasn't necessarily been uh, a, a new style out of Germany. You talked about Pilsner early on and uh, then the Czech Republic's part in that uh, as well. But as you are trying to innovate and trying to bring new flavors to the to the forefront for uh, German beer drinkers, are you you're obviously looking at the history, but where do you look to the future? Like what what are you trying to focus on right now to try to mm -hmm. you know innovate or you know is is there an area of study or an area of brewing practice that uh, you're excited to explore to just see? What happened? I mean, every style yeah. was born from somebody just taking a chance and somebody just yeah. exploring. Uh, good, good question. Now, are we looking back to the history? Is of course just uh, one part. The other is I travel a lot, um, two to three times in the United States. Uh, last year was three times in Russia. I go to a lot of different countries in Europe, and whenever I go back, uh, I, I had new um, impressions. So, for example, uh, for Four or five years ago, uh, we were with a group at um, the, the west coast, um, yeah, northwest, at y in Yakima Valley, 
And uh, directly on the hop farm, we found a very interesting new hop, HPC 431. And um, Does it have a name yet or is no, it still I, just a number? I don't think it has a name yet. Okay. Sometimes it's more interesting to have a number. <laughs> <laughs> very true, yeah. Um, and uh, as we had so many West Coast IPAs over that week, um, we came back and said, okay, we have a hop, we have a style. And uh, we already had one IPA, but there's so much space to have a second. And uh, we created uh, our West Coast IPA. Then uh, another year, we had a lot of uh, saisons, and we thought uh, we would like to have a Belgian-style beer. And uh, we didn't, or we don't use any herbs or spices. Uh, we have a, for that saison, we use really? a special, very special hop enigma from Australia. And, oh, sure, yeah. And uh, it tastes a little bit like white pepper, and like there were spices in, very interesting, but um, without any spices, uh, again, in the concept of purity law. Um, very, very interesting. So we mostly, we have a uh, lot of styles we would like to brew, and we have a lot of different hops we have in our program, which we like but didn't fit to a style yet, so we keep them and have them for the new style. And, and last, <coughs> so last year we were very much influenced by the idea to as I mentioned, to bring more consumers into the craft beer world. That's why we created the um, Dry Hop Pilsner and uh, um, a new, a little bit softer um, Pale Ale. Oh. On the Pilsner front, I mean, it, it. Germany, I think, for... I mean, I hope forever, just simply because it, it, it is a, a, a global treasure, as it were, um, is known for lagers, known for... Pilsner is is known for these you know solid styles of beer that are mm -hmm. you know uh, worthy of of you know your glass mm -hmm. uh, as it were. Um, you travel around a lot, and I'm sure that you chased a lot of uh, 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 interpretations of German style lagers and pilsners. And I'm not necessarily asking you to uh, to uh, uh, call out anybody by name or make anybody but uh, anybody feel bad, but. Have you noticed that, you know, is there, I guess, a commonality if, if you're tasting some of these beers that call themselves a German Pilsner that are very, or a German lager that are very obviously not a German lager or a German <clears throat> Pilsner um, that you wish you could just sort of say, you know, why don't you think about it this way? Or mm. it should taste like this or, you know, because it, it, styles are so you know, uh, uh, loose these days. But um, I think when it comes to some of the more traditional uh, pillars of beer, uh, we can't necessarily play loose mm. with that. So do you notice things that you wish brewers or home brewers or other things would take into account if they're going to make something that they call a German lager? Um, yeah, very good question. At the beginning, when, um, when U.S. craft brewers started brewing lager and Pilsner, um, some of them really didn't taste very very pleasant. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the craft brewers realized that it's much more difficult to brew in lager. And um, I think that opened the eyes a little bit because uh, they started against lager styles. Mm -hmm. um, and then they realized that isn't, it isn't so easy to brew a, a lager because you cannot hide any um, yeah, unpleasant uh, aromas with the hop. Mm -hmm. um, and the fermentation is more difficult. Um, but... This changed. Uh, now, 
I have had a, a few very good lagers, mostly from uh, more bigger regional craft breweries. Sure. For, for example, I remember again this, uh, Firestone Walker, the Pivo, is uh, no question it's a really very good um, lager. Though I think it's it's a good reason why the more the bigger craft brewers. Uh, with good brewmasters, uh, they have the experience. They go travel to Germany. They know how it has to taste. They Firestone Walker uh, had a, uh, I think for one year or half a year, uh, a German brewer. Mm -hmm. uh, he worked there. Um, not to say that he invented that beer, but no, they, they but, have, but they have a good contact to to Germany. And I I think that these brewers who know how it it, it has to be done and have a good equipment that they are they brew really really good lagers. Um, what what makes a German lager a German lager in, in your mind? Right? If, if we had a, a a perfect glass in front of us mm -hmm. right now, uh, how would yeah. you describe it? Um, it's a very it's it's dry. Uh, you don't have sweetness mm -hmm. in that beer like uh, you have in an IPA. Um, it's crisp. You have a very um, clear bitterness. Normally, you have only a very slight hop aroma. Of course, you could brew a dry hop pilsner. It's a different style, but the classic pilsner, the classic German pilsner, has uh, only a very slight hop aroma, but a very nice and clean uh, bitterness. Um, so from the malt, it's um, only a very slight <coughs> um, malt character, but it's not not too much. Yeah, and it's a very very refreshing and clean product. So it must not have any, uh, uh, too many uh, fermentation byproducts. Um, yeah, that's that it. And if, if you look back to history, um, the the ales and the top fermented beers was the, were before the lagers. So and the 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 lager came up together with um, Karl von Linde invented the cooling machine. So it was. From that time, possible to brew with under um, good condition, cooled, and to have a clean, nice product. Whereas the before that, all the the ales, nobody knew about the yeast. Mm -hmm. It was more high, uh, every beer was different. So Pilsner stands for the good, clean, um, pleasant uh, beer, and that's what it is today. Yeah. So, as uh, we start to wrap up, I'm going to ask you in a minute uh, if you have a hope for beer. Mm -hmm. uh, but first, I just want to thank all of our sponsors uh, who help keep us on the air and keep us uh, bringing fresh content every week, uh, including Gene D. Chiller is uh, the brewing industry's premier choice for glycol chilling. The American Homebrewers Association, which celebrates the hobby of homebrewing, protects the rights of homebrewers, and provides members with world-class brewing resources. And you can bring the world to your brew house with select ingredients from BSG. And also check out SCA Fabricating, which is the craft industry's leading choice for packaging line automation. Uh, Dr. Mark Rauschman of Brow Factum in Germany, do you, do you have a hope for beer? <laughs> um, yes, I, I hope that... Um Worldwide, the interaction uh, between brewers uh, and consumers uh, go on like that. Um, I hope that we, yeah, we have more and more variation all over the world. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I hope that we bring more of that what you have in the United States uh, to Germany and have the good 
new styles uh, together with the traditional style. So it's, uh, I hope that um, we don't fight against each other. Each other. So um, I've seen that in in the United States that um, to brew a good beer doesn't mean that the other brewer brews a bad beer. So the brewers in the United States, they talk much more about their own beer mm -hmm. and not about what is bad with a bigger or smaller other brewer. And I hope that this happens all over the world and especially in, in Germany that uh, the brewers talk about their beer, about what they do, and uh, there's no need to talk about others in a bad way. Uh, I hope that we do more together um, and that we show the consumers uh, how much fun it is to drink beer to um, always means to use it in the right way and not to drink too much but how nice it is to uh, to taste beer to go to festivals to meet the brewers uh, it's such a nice uh, product and I, I hope we all together work in this way and have uh, fun together brewing and drinking beer I like that very, very much. Um, and I like the interaction thing as well because I, it, it, it strikes me that there is a lot of uh, collaboration happening. And I like that, that, that you've come over to see you know, what the U.S. brewers are doing and you, you've traveled other, way, uh, other places as well. And I, I, I wonder, aside from Firestone and, and maybe Sam Adams and some of the other uh, you know, larger brewers, how many of the smaller breweries are actually taking trips through Germany and trying to uh, you know, learn from the traditions and how they can um, uh, sort of incorporate that into, into their cells? It's such a, a fun global brewing community right now. The Internet has made the world so small that uh, uh, you, know, you can collaborate with people and have conversations with people on the other side of the world of uh you know what makes beer great and i, I you know i hope that I, I definitely hope that continues i think that's yeah. a that's a nice thing yeah. um thanks so much for being here thanks so much for all of you for listening if you have questions uh dear listeners uh guests you'd like to hear topics you'd like addressed you can reach out to me directly at john halts j-o-h-n-h-o-l-l at beerandbrewing.com or join the conversation on twitter at john underscore hall uh mark if people want to find your brewery online where where can they do that yeah you um have profactum.de or com um or you follow us on instagram profactum or facebook and uh, yes um, you find our beers of course on untapped okay uh, but uh, yeah write us on facebook or um, nice post on instagram sure and your beers are coming into the u.s now yes we, can, yeah we already have the the ipa we have uh, on uh, premise at a lot of uh, accounts and since this week we have uh, very proud about that we have uh, the Provoster ipa in cans started okay. at total wine and i do the promotion this week and in may at uh, uh, West Coast, so if you like the beer, go and uh, grab a six-pack of Post IPA. Yeah. A, a German IPA in a can. What a what a time to be alive. This is. <laughs> oh, yeah, I had the, 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 yeah. the quality was is pretty good. So we have it in Germany in the cool warehouse, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, the condition at Total Wine are pretty good too. And um, yeah, the quality is perfect. And uh, yeah, and, and, and enjoy the beer and uh, give me a comment if you like. Wonderful. Uh, thank you again so much for being here, and we will be back next week with a brand new episode. Uh, cheers. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew.com.